Hey, everybody. Today on The Charlie Kirk Show, one of my great friends, James Lindsay, sits down for an in-depth and powerful conversation. You're going to love this. Take notes, listen twice, text it to your friends. We talk about the queering of the American child, his new book. Uh, We talk about what they want. Where does this come from? What is queer theory? It is amazing, this conversation. So make sure you take notes and you listen very carefully. Uh, I loved this conversation. I learned so much. And at the end, it really hits a beautiful crescendo. So listen all the way through. Email us freedom at charliekirk.com. Become a member today at members.charliekirk.com. That's members.charliekirk.com. Here we provide exclusive content beyond our daily show. You can listen to all of our shows. Uh, advertiser free, go to members.charliekirk.com. That is members.charliekirk.com. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com and subscribe to our podcast. Get involved with Turning Point USA at tpusa.com. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Noble Gold Investments is the official gold sponsor of The Charlie Kirk Show a company that specializes in gold IRAs and physical delivery of precious metals. Learn how you could protect your wealth with Noble Gold Investments at noblegoldinvestments.com. That is noblegoldinvestments.com. It's where I buy all of my gold. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Joining us, one of my favorite people, not just in politics, just favorite people. He's a good man and ridiculously smart, James Lindsay. Hey, Charlie. James, I think you've come on the show 30, 40, 50 times now. Well, we got to get the numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. Yeah, I know. You are uh, you are an installation here. That's right. So, so much to talk about. I want to talk about your book, uh, The Queering of the American Mind. Is that Child. right? Child. Is that a play off of yes. the yeah. kind of... Playing off of, you know, um, there's a lot of different things, but, uh, you know... The what is it called the the, the heterodox academy? No, guy? no, no. There's a book that's the something of the American mind. The yeah, no, I, I the closing of the, the American closing mind? of the American yeah. mind. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm playing off of that, but the title is uh, the queering of the American child, and it explores queer theory in education primarily, uh, how it got in it, what it is, how it works, and why it targets children. That's an interesting cover. Yeah, isn't it? I love it. So. It almost looks like there's two bites out of the apple. Is that right? It's or... a big bite. I don't know. We'll have to ask so, the So AI. for those on podcast and on radio, what are we looking at? So what you're looking at is a picture of the cover of the book. It's a beautiful white cover with the title. But then there's a picture of a apple, right, dead center. There's a big giant bite, or maybe two. We can talk about Herbert if yeah, you want. because there, there's, there's some imagery there. And inside the uh, apple, instead of it being the white flesh of an apple, is the pride flag. So they're taking a bite of the fruit and... Getting so what, what, why, why do you choose that as the cover? We actually you rely on the metaphor in the book quite a bit because the way that the book frames it, the first line of the book is, in fact, that uh, our schools are in the grip of a religious cult. We don't pull any punches at all in labeling queer theory as the doctrine of a religious cult. It's a sex-based cult. It targets children primarily, and then we also clarify that it has very little to do with gay people. 
But we want people to understand that they are trying to hold out the fruit to get the kids to bite the fruit, to bring them into a cult uh, through identity crisis. So can you build out the difference between what you mean by difference between queering and gay people? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, okay. So queer theory is its own doctrine. Um, it developed mostly through the 80s and 90s out of what's called sex positive radical feminism with some other influences, the sexology of Kinsey, uh, some of the weird gender stuff of money, of John Money. But uh, primarily it came out of sex positive radical feminism looking for a new way to think about uh, sex, gender, sexuality primarily. But what it is, it got defined by a guy, David Halperin, in a book called Saint Foucault, trying to turn trying to canonize Michel Foucault. Michel Foucault. Yeah, the, the pedophile, the French postmodern philosopher trying, and, and the father of queer theory, really, trying to turn him into a saint. And so it gets its first definition, the word queer does, in the technical sense, in that book. And the first three l- words of the paragraph where it gets defined is unlike gay identity. And he says the reason, I won't go into the technical language, which I kind of have memorized, but what he says is that's different is that Whatever, whether it's a choice or whether it's something more innate, and he actually opens the door that it could be either. Gay identity is rooted in reality. But queer, he says, is not rooted in any positive truth or any stable reality, and it refers to nothing in particular. He says it's an identity without an essence, not based in truth, not based in reality. And then he says what it is is that it takes on its meaning in a political position that is intrinsically opposed to, and he gives three things, the normal, the legitimate, and the dominant. So you can't be queer. You can only act queer. You can only perform queerness. And so gay people who act like normal everyday citizens are not queer, and they're hated by the queer theorists. So, but James, how dare you use the word normal? That's the problem. Normal is actually considered to so be let's, let's evil. Let's... For the people in the audience that aren't tracking, yeah, what, what do I mean by that? Normal is is a like aggressive insult. That's right. Normal is the big. Well, normal and legitimate are the two big bads, right? That queer theory is against. Yes. So truth that's legitimate. So it's against that. But normal means in accordance with norms, meaning that it's what appears on average, what we consider to be within healthy boundaries. And they want to. The word is as a verb to queer those boundaries so that they no longer exist. To take children in particular, but all people outside of them. But as we've talked about before, it's intrinsically, truly, a cult. And how is it intrinsically yes. a cult? They believe that all people, it's, it's a Gnostic cult. We've used the word Gnostic And I before. want to go through that again. It's so yeah. good. It's so good. And what they believe is that all people are intrinsically queer, but they don't know it because they've had normalcy imposed on them through social production. They've gone to school. They've had parents. They have a sex assigned at birth by a doctor, and everybody has to live according to their sex assigned at birth. They have to live as uh, heterosexuals. They're forced, socialized to be normal in those regards. They're not supposed to be mentally ill. They're supposed to try to keep their emotions under control, these sort of things. And they say, well, all of that is a system of oppression that keeps people from being who they really are. Queer theory is to awaken who they really are. That's a cult identity. And to activate them to go do the uh, the, the activism and yeah, practice so let, of let's, the cult. Let's take an example. They think that it's okay if somebody really is attracted to children. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's not just that they think it's okay. It's an inevitable consequence of queer theory, and it's from the very earliest writings, an intrinsic part of everything queer theory writes. Gail Rubin in 1984 wrote a book or a paper, I should say, called Thinking Sex, and she has an entire paragraph or two dedicated specifically to the intrinsic uh, oppression of what she calls boy lovers. 
and she holds up NAMBLA, which is, what is it, the National Association of Man-Boy Love, really. And he, she says that this is such a deep oppression that is written in 84, by 2000 or so, we would all be looking back on it, embarrassed that we were oppressing boy lovers, in her word. And so pedophilia is right there inside. Pedophilia, though, is also opposed to the normal and the legitimate, so it has to be valorized by queer theory. So what you can say is that queer theory has a 100% chance of leading toward pedophilia. It doesn't have to be done by pedophiles, but has a 100% chance that pedophilia will be valorized by it. And understand this, everybody in the audience, queer theory is not a fringe academic theory. No, not at all. It's in every school. It's, uh, well, I mean, look at the good Admiral Levine. It's in every institution. It's in our military. It's in our military. It's in our schools. It's in our universities. It's in our workplaces. Uh, we all saw what happened with Bud Light. The reason is because the Human Rights Campaign publishes this this number that's important to their ESG index. That number is called their Corporate Equality Index, the CEI. Uh, it how it asks you how queer activist your company is. There's a healthcare equality index. There's a municipal equality index for cities. There's a uh, state equality index where they rate all the states as how welcoming they are. And you see states, including allegedly conservative states like Utah, the you know, there's controversially 10 years ago, it was like the homophobic state of the union or whatever. Utah is competing to have a good... Yeah, the governor uh, gives his pronouns. It's yeah, the gov- governor, Spencer he, Cox, he, him. That's right. questionable too, but that's a separate know. issue. So the... For some people, they say, but what, what is the goal of queer theory? How to produce queer theorists. It is to create activists out of children primarily because children are a soft target. They're vulnerable. They are impressionable. They haven't, to be more specific, they haven't developed cortically their, their frontal cortex of their brain. So they'll believe fantasy and reality intermixed. They don't have the ability to fully distinguish. We often bring up that they believe in Santa Claus or that they believe, you know, believe in other fantastic uh, ideas. And they target children. And the goal is to make them queer activists, people who rebel and reject against the normal. And the idea that being normal or being healthy, literally healthy is a form of normalcy, is something that's being imposed upon them by an evil society that needs to be torn down. So uh, if we were to make a reference to, say, Mao Zedong in China, where he yes, created— who the, you and I love studying Mao. We have to, because that's what's happening here. And he created out of the youth what he called the Red Guard, which is a very radical vanguard. Six elements, right? Or five or six mantras. Oh, yeah. They had they, these— Good categories, bad co- that's categories. That's right. That's right? right. The good and bad categories of people. And so the Red Guard was a, was a high school primarily and college, but also younger children. Millions, tens of millions of these kids going around destroying property— bullying and sometimes killing their parents, turning their parents into the government, killing their teachers uh, to try to transform China. And it worked from 1966 to 1968. And what queer theory is trying to build is a rainbow guard to dismantle America. Name of the book again? The Queering of the American Child. And and you've co-authored this with Logan Lansing, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, The story real quick is that he sent me a manuscript he had written and said, hey, will you look this over and tell me if there's anything I can add to it? Turns out I was on a flight. I had some some spare minutes. So I opened it and I started reading. I was like, holy cow. This this is is good. good." Not only is it good, it's like I can't write readable stuff, but he can. Okay, so James, here's a question I have. Is queer theory fundamentally nihilist? Yeah, uh, it's I mean, by definition, it is whatever. And that's his words. Exactly. David Halpern's words, defining queer the first time. It is whatever is at odds with the normal, the legitimate, and the dominant. So what does that mean? Well, if you're trying to destroy legitimacy, you're nihilistic. That's it. That's 
end of story. So there's not an open it's it, not an open question. It exists to spread itself and destroy everything. That's right. And it 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 actually spreads itself like most cults do through trauma. They actually are going around intentionally That's So smart. Uh, riff on that. Go deep into that. They it's intentionally really injure children, mostly psychologically, of course. It's not mostly. It's not I'm not saying that they're grabbing or groping. Some are. Some are, but that's not the primary. So there's a queer educator that um, actually Logan Lansing introduced me to in this book named Kevin Kumashiro, and he wrote a paper in 2002 called Against Repetition. And in that paper, he actually says that the purpose of queer education is to lead children into an identity crisis, a personal emotional crisis by teaching them about their complicity and oppression, and then to structure the environment around them to lead them to productive resolutions of the emotional crisis. Now, in the cult literature, that's called trauma bonding. They put them under psychological or emotional or what social you're circumstances. This is intentional. Oh, yeah, it's not only intentional. There's another couple of uh, theorists. They wrote a paper in 2019. I'm trying to remember the name of the paper. It has a cute name, but their names are Torres and Ferry. And they wrote that for years and years, we've, uh, we meaning queer theorists and social justice, justice activists in education, have shied away from the word indoctrination. We get accused that we're indoctrinating students. We always shy away from it, and we try to play it off. And they say it's time for us to own it. That is exa- This is, quote, that is exactly what we're doing. What do you say to the people that object and say you're just cherry-picking the most radical of the academic literature? If I cherry-picked the most radical of queer theory, we couldn't say it on air. I, that's I can't even talk about. So what you're doing is you're, you're picking the kind of pioneers of the queer orthodoxy. That's you're, right. You're not just going to some lunatic. Yeah, Judith Butler. She's not a fringe character in queer theory. Her body of work could be summarized in six words, which is that life is drag and drag is life. In other words, <laughs> none of us have an intrinsic sex identity, male or female. We're all taught by society to perform our identity. So if you're performing masculinity, you're still performing it. If you're performing trans, then you're still performing it. Everybody's doing drag all the time. But what does that mean in terms of our our Gnosticism? That means the people who are doing drag on purpose have awakened to what they really are. Everybody's actually a drag queen. That's not a cherry picker. Uh, Kevin Kumashiro's work was actually very influential. I don't know how influential Taurus and Ferry were particularly. So maybe that one's a little bit fringe. But David Halperin's book, I can't even tell you no, he's how, how gross. He's huge. He defined queer in the same paragraph. I'll use a very benign example because there's some stuff I cannot say on air where he glorifies sexual practices in that same book that I can't even talk about on air. And, you know, I'll talk about anything. Yep. I can't even talk about it on air. It's horrible. In the same paragraph, like two sentences down from where he defines queer, he says it can refer to a lot of things. It could refer to, for example, he says, married couples without children. That's queer because they don't have kids, right? And he said, or it could refer to married couples with children. And then in italics, it actually says in italics, very naughty children. Everything in queer theory is gross. Gail Rubin's defending boy lovers, intergenerational uh, sexual relationships, she calls it. She's defending kink in the workplace. She's, I mean, that's, these are the core theorists. You can't make it up. The globalists are making it very clear that another pandemic could be just around the corner. Uh, they want us to live in fear, to be willing to sacrifice our freedoms. It doesn't have to be this way. You need to be prepared, not scared. That's why you need the wellness company. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. 
Their medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy. Be ready for anything. I can 100% endorse this company. They are amazing. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to help keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw at us next. Go to twc.health slash charlie. That is twc.health slash charlie. Enter promo code charlie for 10% off. The wellness company, they are licensed doctors and medical professionals you can trust. Again, that's twc.health slash charlie, promo code charlie for 10% off. See site for details. Prescription may be required. So when they when they, they look at the, the apple as eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. And you have that with the, the rainbow, the queering. Mm-hmm. So do they, there's a word that is almost tattooed on my soul that you've used. Yeah. That bothers me. Okay. Not that you said it, but it's the word initiation. Oh, yeah. So we're going to cherry pick again because... No, I'm not cherry pick. No, no, no. I'm te- that's teasing. That's for teasing. the record. Yeah. No. So uh, another one of the foundational Take queer theorists... Take your time on this. It's very important. Yeah. So one of the other foundational queer theorists is... I can only, I struggle to say the middle name, uh, Eve Kosovsky Sedgwick. So you see the syllables all bang into each other there. But anyway, I mean, that's not anything, that's just her name. But so she wrote a book in 90 ish, plus or minus two, I forget the exact year, called The Epistemology of the Closet, where she actually argues it's one of the most Gnostic texts I've ever read in my life that being in the closet confers a special understanding of the world upon you. So the epistemology of being in the closet, and she talks about— What does epistemology mean? Epistemology is an is a understanding of what we know and how we know it. Thank you. Continue. Yeah, and so the book is called The Epistemology of the Closet. So being put in the closet forces you into a special kind of knowing. And she starts talking about how queer theory is constructed around all of these binaries, male, female, straight, gay, and so on, right? And that the binaries are actually constructions of power. And the one that stuck out to me when I was reading this list, and there's about 30 of them in her list— and she explores most of them through the text, is um, innocence versus initiation is a binary. So children are innocent. We would say that they're naturally innocent. Queer theorists do not believe this. They think that we've constructed society to maintain their innocence so they'll grow up normal and not become queer, not realize that they're queer. John Money and Kinsey said something, you know, I've never seen such a sexual being as an 18-month-old. Yeah, that's right. This is what this is how they think. And there's another activist, just a queer activist in education called Linz Amer. I, you know, whatever. And she actually put on Twitter a couple of years ago. I think she deleted the tweet later. And I'm using she because I have no idea. And the pronouns. But we, we don't care about pronouns. Says precision around. Here. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to bring up the point. And so um, Linz said that actually they're not after some kids. They're not after just the LGBT kids. They're after all kids because all kids are queer. They're intrinsically queer. They just don't know it. In other words, they're in the closet, but they don't know they're in the closet. So they have to be introduced to the idea or initiated into the idea, removed from their innocence and initiated into the idea that they have a queer identity inside. And then that has to be developed. It has to be affirmed. It has to be celebrated. They have to be made to feel like they're welcomed and belonged. The reason that word is tattooed is that initiation implies a ceremony. Uh Uh-huh. And it implies almost a v- deliberate procedure, uh-huh. not an accident. Yeah, right. That's so, why that word initi- initiation feels as if, like, now you're one of us. It like is. You cross the bridge. Right. So let me, let me, what are some of these initiation rituals that take place? Well, Drag Queen Story Hour is easily the most visible and prominent. You bring a queer activist, the drag queen, into the room. 
you present them in front of children, and it says specifically they wrote a paper called Drag Pedagogy, which is the educational value of drag in curriculum inquiry in 21. This is the most uh, you know, respected curriculum journal in education, academic journal. Big deal. Written by a drag queen that lives here in the Phoenix area that goes by Lil Miss Hot Mess. ASU or was that? Uh, not university affiliated so far okay. as I know. But the ASU has a big drag connection. We'll get well, that that's later. probably part of yeah. why, but I don't know for sure. And they very explicitly explained that the point of the drag queen is to turn up the excitement, turn up the color, get the kids excited to teach them that there's queer aspects to themselves. In fact, yet again, with the is it about gay kids? They have this section near the end of this paper titled, get, get, listen to these words, just, I mean, they're big words, but let them sink in. From empathy to embodied kinship. Emb- take out embodied. From empathy to kinship, queer kinship. And I'm not supposed to call these people groomers, of course, as we all know, right? And they explain in that section, the very first part of the section is they say, well, there's all these ideas of empathy, that that the point of queer education is to introduce empathy for LGBT kids and people. They say, well, that's a marketing strategy. That's what we use to get it in the door to justify its value, but its real value is deeper. Its real value is to introduce kids into ways of living and being queer. And so that's an initiation ritual. The pornographic books in schools. Those are a self-directed initiation ritual. They want the kid to find the book. They want the kid to go and read the book, to have an exploration, to bring it up with the teacher, who then says, well, we have a club after school, the GSA, which used to be Gay Straight Alliance, and I think it's the Gender Sexuality Alliance or something like that now. And when you come to this club, you know, maybe it's a pizza party, maybe it's candy. We're going to celebrate and affirm you. So I want to go through some of these examples here. This is an initiation ceremony. Mm -hmm. This is a grown man, I believe, dressed as a woman, gyrating in front of children. Play cut 22. Okay, so we have hundreds of these pieces of tape. First of all, is this an unusual occurrence? No, they happened all over the country. They have happened all over the country. Uh, for especially the last couple of years, but it's been going on since 2015. So it's not a terribly unusual occurrence. What is going on in that clip intellectually? So what's why going- is that supported by the Academy? Well, the Academy is completely captured. The medical institutions are completely captured. The schools are completely captured. The, uh, student, the school superintendents association is completely captured. The teachers yeah, unions are completely that. captured. I do want to get into that. I'm talking about what, what is the, why do they think it's a good yeah. idea? Because their their logic is i mean there's two there's two answers so let me be very clear about that there's the marketing answer that as the drag queen story hour paper points out there's a marketing answer and that answer is some of the kids are lgbt and don't know it and they have to have some representation to awaken the idea in their mind and then there's the real answer which is at the end of the same paragraph in the drag queen paper which is that it's not about empathy or representation it's about introducing the idea of queerness to every child and these people are evangelists man that's right their goal is to get those kids to see that and say why is there a man dressed as a woman acting that way and then to start the dialogue i mean this is and i think you've been really way ahead of the curve clairvoyant on this which is this these people act as if it's a religion it is a religion it's there it's it is completely a religion um they 
say things like trans people are sacred. They say that I've, I saw a tweet a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just some stupid little account. It's not a big deal, but it said something like, you know, that they had the privilege of touching a trans body today. And that, that, so they got to touch a piece of the divine. They literally see this transformational process as a, you know, religious aspiration. It's who you truly are. It's who your soul is and meant, was meant to be before society encapsulated it in a fallen form. What is that? I mean, I know the answer because you're perfectly leading up. How does that intersect with Marxism? Marxism has this idea. Okay, so Marx, we've got to do this right. Okay, so Marxism is a social and economic re uh, evaluation of the Gnostic heresies from early Christianity and before. The Gnostic heresies say that the, the God presented in Genesis is actually the architect of the world, the demiurge, that's from the Greek for builder. And so he built the world, but he's not actually God. God is the perfect spirit. We are not separate from God because nothing is separate from God. But the demiurge built the world, the material world, which is an illusion state separate from God, and he imprisoned man's souls inside. And so the fruit in the tree, or of, of the tree in the garden is supposed to confer to man the knowledge that he is what he is, that he's actually pure spirit and inseparable from God. And the demiurge is basically the jailer of man in Eden and doesn't want them to know that. And so it's actually an evil character. And then when, when Eve disobeys and Adam follows and they, they eat from the fruit and then they become to know a little bit of this, all of a sudden, what happens? Well, the character, the demiurge or God in the, in the Bible flips out throws them into the material world to suffer, to live by the toil of their back, the sweat of their brow, the pain of childbirth, and so on. Uh, the, the wages of sin or death, all of this comes in upon man. And what the Gnostics believe is that we are falsely imprisoned in the world by an evil demon posing as God. What Marx did was said, the bourgeois class as a social and economic phenomenon actually imprisons the exploited proletariat class in their social values, in their way of thinking, so that they can become exploitable, alienated workers who will make the capitalists more money. This same idea gets recapitulated that there are people who, like you and me, who went around and said, you know what, you're pretty normal, I'm pretty normal, we're normal people, but those people are deviants, weirdos, degenerates, perverts, or queer in the academic literature, and they don't deserve the full benefits of society unless they conform to our values. Under the names of DEI and ESG, the largest asset managers have been using your money, your savings, to push politics into America's corporations. For years, they've implemented an agenda that is anti-American capitalism at your expense without your permission. There's an alternative. At Strive, the only agenda is maximizing shareholder returns, pro-capitalism and pro-meritocracy. Shareholders first, period. To learn more about Strive's shareholder first investment options, visit Strive.com now. Yeah, so we were talking about the kind of Gnostic or religious construction. So just the real quick encapsulation, queer theory should be considered queer Marxism. And because Marxism is sociological Gnosticism, I know I'm using a lot of big words real fast. I'll slow down a little bit. Queer theory is really queer Gnosticism, that you, there's a secret knowledge that will set you free, that will liberate you or emancipate you from the imprisonment of normalcy. And when you have that knowledge, which is queer knowledge, when you become queered, which is to learn to reject the normal and the legitimate on principle, to reject those and oppose them everywhere they show up, then you can liberate yourself from the uh, impositions of a uh, society that's got you locked in chains. What, what Judith Butler, quoting from Michel Foucault, said 
is that it's the it's not so much that the body imprisons the soul it's that the soul imprisons the body what they mean is that the social environment because it's a sociological religion it's not a transcendent religion what's transcendent is sociology our interactions that's what's it's in the material world that becomes the new religious spiritual realm is sociology and the sociology sets it up so that you believe you have to be a certain way so then you script that, that's their wording, you write that onto your body, so society tells you you're male, so you should be a man, and so you make yourself into a man, which they think is a fiction, and now you're trapped within that form. So, so they look at them queer and drag as a liberating force. That's right, liberating, emancipating, these are the words they use constantly for what they're doing, liberating from so, the so prison I, of we're being. we're in captivity and we want to be free. That's right. To find out who we really are. And who we really are is queer, without definition, without meaning, free to give ourselves our own definition, our own meaning, no matter what it is, no matter where it comes from, no matter what. So can you build out a little bit more? You and I have fun when we call these people wizards. Yeah. Well, we do that in the book, too, by the way. So we actually do call them wizards. We describe that uh, the educators, the queer educators in the classrooms work very specifically, they're activists that are casting spells. We say that they work like sorcerers to put the kids under spells to allegedly open their minds to the queer possibilities around them. And what this actually is, is it's a form of, um, I guess, cognitive and emotional distortion that they put people in. So the spells that they cast usually do something that's mixing a truth with a lie. They tell the kids, maybe you feel uncomfortable with your body. That might be true. That means maybe you're not the gender you were assigned at birth or whatever. Well, that's false. That's a lie. And so they mix these things together in order to confuse children, to confuse uh, everybody, frankly, because queer theory makes no sense. And then they want people trapped in this social and emotional spell. Here's one of the biggest spells. What is a woman? Right? Which I, I give all the credit to Matt Walsh because he kind of gave us the spell that yeah. I've used now. Right, of course. Over 130 and, million views. Right? And of course, the biggest moment of that was where uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn picked it up in the Senate and asked confirmation hearing. Brown Jackson, That's right. And, which they didn't even like her answer. No, she, she gave the wrong answer, but the right answer in the wrong way. Yeah, she what gave she, the right answer, the wrong explanation. She, that's right. She said, I don't know, even though she is a woman, she doesn't know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. Ooh. Ooh. But what a biologist is a kind of thing, and that kind of thing is an expert. And so what you have to ask is an expert. But she, you wouldn't ask, why is this kind of right and wrong? Well, you have to ask an expert, but you wouldn't ask a biologist because biologists are actually experts. You have to ask, in fact, a gender theorist or a queer activist. Or a wizard. Who is a wizard instead, who's mystifying the idea of I'm, gender. I'm not, we're not kidding when we say these people are wizards. Yeah, they're casting social and emotional spells, particularly on children, to lead them into what they call living queerly. So, James, you, you know I take my religion very seriously, and you respect how people take yes. religion seriously, and you love the Bible, sure. and you know the Bible well, and it's, it's an objectively beautiful um, piece of literature. I also believe it's the Word of God. It is hard not for me to take the next step, uh -huh. which I know you sympathize with, that this is diabolical and from the pit of hell. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I said with you on stage I know, that it opens the pit to hell. It, you, know, you said if there was a hell or something, so yeah, something. You, it would have to, queer theory would be its Yeah, queer theory opens the gates creation. to hell. Yeah, it, for sure it does. Explain this. what you mean by that. So if we take the Bible, even as a piece of literature, we don't have to take it literally. Who is, who is Satan? He's the accuser. Which it literally means in Hebrew, prosecutor. That's right. And so what does he do? He deceives. 
He misleads you. He mixes a truth with a lie. He doesn't just come out and necessarily lie. He mixes truths and lies to deceive. No, that's exactly right. And then once the mixed truth and lie deceives you, what does he do? He goes around and accuses. Charlie, you're a transphobe. Accusation. Wow. And all of a sudden, that's another magic spell, by the way, because now everybody socially, if they don't know what's going on, thinks you're a bad person, and they aren't sure if they should trust you or listen to you anymore. You did a transphobia. And so all of a sudden, they have these two. So if we're going to take the Bible seriously in saying that that, at the level of the Hebrew itself, is what represents the father of lies, yes, then we have to look at their behavior, or as Jesus would say, judge them by their fruits, and see that that's exactly in accordance with how they behave and act. Yes. And what comes, what other fruits are there socially? Torn apart lives, destroyed families, children with wrecked bodies, with wounds that will never heal from attempted transitions, sterilized from chemical treatments, cross-sex hormones, and Lupron is a puberty blocker that, that destroys their, uh, their reproductive organs from the inside out, can damage their minds, can damage their bodies, their, their bones even become very brittle. There's all of these huge health problems, but then there's social problems. Everybody's walking on eggshells all the time. Everybody's afraid they're going to hurt somebody's feelings or get accused of something. It causes total calamity. Well, even I would, because I don't want to screw up. I mean, again, I got enough opposition right now. We're kind of in the hot seat. I don't want to, you know, say some sort of like queering of the American kid, and all of a sudden I got a bunch of, you know, alphabet mafia types trying to firebomb my office. Yeah, well, um, they're not going to be happy about this book calling it uh, a cult. I can tell you that from experience. I spoke for one of your Turning Point chapters last week. You did excellent, by the way. Yeah, Pitt. uh, We got to make it bigger. We got to get more. I'm, I'm... dedicated we got to really and so, scale it yeah a few um but you had some trans taliban come right well uh, it was not quite as bad as that they threatened that they were going to but we had a number of activists show up dressed as clowns which was i think a rather poor choice uh of their their represent self-representation but they actually came in full clown makeup full clown the whole thing like actual clowns and they sat there and this this one girl um started crying and left and called her mom very early on in because I came out and I said, I'm here to talk about queer theory. Let me tell you what queer theory is. Here are the bullet points. It's the doctrine of a religious cult. It's a cult that is based on sex. It primarily targets children and it's not got much to do with being gay. And I'm now I'm going to spend an hour substantiating this. And we had one of the activists in tears over being delivered uh, that dose of truth. Let's play cut 20 here. Uh, National parks are hosting drag queens. This was last June for pride month. Uh, and this is this. There's it's actually an incredibly not I don't want to say deep but important point that this freakazoid gives. Play cut twenty. Hello. In case you didn't know, gay people are literally taking over the national park system. I just helped throw pride in Yosemite for the third year in a row. But this isn't a pride for visitors to the valley. This is a pride for the park employees, of which, as you can see, there are literal hundreds of queer Yosemite employees. We danced, we marched, we celebrated, and we got wet. I am so proud of all the community organizers within the park system who are making safe space for queer people all year round. No planet, no pride. Mother Nature is a lesbian. Goodbye. Your response. <laughs> that was that was amazing. That was an amazing spectacle, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, at the National Park Service, as a core activity, using the natural park as a vehicle to bring children in, to get them excited, and then to lead them into various you know activities. Yet again, it's an initiation ceremony. My response is as simple as it could be. This is an initiation ceremony meant to get children to believe that maybe I'm this way too. And to start asking the questions, and then when they start asking the questions, they start getting affirmed. Yeah, and this is an important thing. Is that I mean, I'm obviously 
have my problems with drag of all ages, but especially children, and that's the f- emphasis. Drag is not new. No. And I think you make this point the best. Growing up, there were people that cross-dressed or dragged. That is, it's not some sort of new phenomenon. The focus on the children is a new phenomenon. That's correct. That actually, according to the Drag Queen Story Hour paper, at least started officially, or that program of focusing on children started specifically in 2015 in San Francisco. I mean, they can nail it down to like oh, with where the, it with the gay men's choir thing. That's right. Can we get that again? Oh, they try to sue us over this thing. Can, really? they, they have. You want to know a story? They have gone after everyone that airs this. You know what I'm talking about, Ryan? That we're going to come after your children. Mm. Oh, do you, have you seen? You, they they whitewash the. We have a, we have we have like one of the few files, and they send out uh, what is it called DMCA type stuff. Wow, what is it? Uh, will they literally sing a song? Will convert your children? That's right. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't. They're not actually hiding it. They're looking. No, they for sing your, in harmony. They're looking about for it. society's tacit permission. All right, let's play cut twenty seven. By the way, Blake, I I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think some of these people that are in this video singing. We're later in some legal trouble. Am I right about that, Blake? I, I have some memory of that. Oh, they were in it before. All right, play cut 27. We have a message for you. You think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. We'll convert your children and make an ally of you. James Lindsay. That's, I mean, that's exactly it. What they're doing is that the reason that they come after you is they don't want people to see that and understand what it really is. They're doing it with a wink and a nod because what it looks like is what it really is. But they want to say that they're playing into the trope that's against them to get away from that. But what they're telling you is exactly what they're after, to initiate your children into their cult. Yeah, I think it was the Washington Post when there were a bunch of homosexuals that were marching in the streets last summer. And they said, we're coming after your kids. And the Washington Post said, that's them using the trope to their advantage. I said, yeah, I, I'm sorry. That That is that is Orwellian level spin, That's right. spinning. They know that they're doing that. They do it on purpose. Folks, so many people I know are disheartened that our country seems to have forgotten the importance of citizenship, and they wonder how a strong sense of citizenship might be revived. That's why my friends at Hillsdale College have produced a free online course on this topic, American Citizenship and Its Decline. Taught by historian Victor Davis Hansen, the course traces the history of citizenship and explains how it is undermined in America today by open borders, by identity politics, by the administrative state, and by globalization. Americans are taking the course. Americans taking the course will gain a deeper insight about the connection between citizenship and freedom, an insight they can share with their family members, friends, and neighbors. Hillsdale's free online courses are an important component of Hillsdale's mission to reach and teach increasing millions of people on behalf of liberty and the American way of life. So sign up today for Hillsdale's free online course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, by visiting charlieforhillsdale.com. That is charlieforhillsdale.com. Start your free course today at charlieforhillsdale.com. So 
let's uh, let's put up cut 18. This is the all-star uh, team. This is what the Biden government will be known as. You see here, you got Dylan Mulvaney, mm-hmm. Levine, Kareem Jean-Pierre, monkeypox dude, the stripper, the TikTok person. I don't know who those other... Oh, the, 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 the luggage thief. Luggage thief, yeah. And I don't know who that other person is. Yeah, I don't know that one. So uh, the the queering of the government, what's that all about? I mean, the the government being queered is the most shocking, I think, part of this. Is it the most dangerous? Um, probably because the government ends up being able to set standards and validate this. For example, in education, and we talk about this in detail in the book, uh, the, the way that the um, Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights has taken on queer theory, and especially with the regard to the gender identity, uh, which leads to creating these policies at schools and defending these policies in schools where uh, parents are to be shut out of what's going on in, in the name of protecting the kids. Of course, we've seen some of these states that are passing uh, these bills that allow, they call it something like trans sanctuary. But in many cases, what they do is they open the door, of course, to sex trafficking, because all you have to do is get a kid across the state lines and call them whatever you know trans or whatever and they go into the care of the state where it's easy to fall through the cracks and every other thing and so there's major problems with these but the government has has picked this up to the point where schools can have these policies and if parents fight back the department of education itself is in the office of civil rights or department of justice and well yes the department of justice as well has they can come down with the full weight of the office of civil rights maybe the department of justice against parents who stand up to protect the kids i have to pause here i mean Without getting into the details of the last month and a half, I've taken some strong stances about the overextension of the Civil Rights Act. Are you saying that the Civil Rights Act is being applied towards queering of American kids? It is, and that largely began under Obama, uh, where he sent in 2011 what was called the Dear Colleague Letter, and uh, that was to extend the application of Title IX. Of course, this same logic got uh, reified, unfortunately, at the um, part of Gorsuch's decision in Obergefell. Uh, very unfortunately, he indicates that it is actually a form of sex discrimination to do gender discrimination or sexuality discrimination, which is not correct. So can can you just build this out? So the full force of the federal government can be used the same way it was to end racial segregation to try to end what? To try to end. So what you see in schools, for example, is that children will choose a preferred identity. The schools will protect that identity and often against the parents' wishes. The parents will seek uh, you know, restitution for this. And then what will come back is that the parents will be found in the wrong. And uh, at some points, we're even seeing, you know, in various states, what was the big state that just happened? It was uh, Indiana. You're seeing parents literally fighting for their kids um, because Child Protective Services gets involved. Uh, and you see schools afraid to take any kind of a stand on the side of the because parents. The because the Office of the Civil Rights of the federal government, the Department of Justice might come crushing them. Crushing that's right. Them. And it turns out that it's actually based off of a couple of memos. There's no actual uh, substance to it, but that's how they work. And then they've got Obergefell backing them up. And so is it fair to say that queerness is becoming a new civil rights identity? They're trying to make it one for sure. I don't know that it's there yet. Yeah. I said back in 2019, and I'm rather proud of this prediction, was that if they ever went fully public with queer theory, that they'd shot themselves in the foot, and it was only a matter of time. Parents would fall for a lot of the racial justice stuff, but they weren't going to fall for the queering of their kids uh, on a total, like a total societal scale. And we haven't. And uh, parents will protect their kids. So it, they're trying to make it one, but that's going to be a gigantic battleground. Um, there's no standing that makes any sense to apply sex segregation into gender and sexuality, uh, but they've cooked up legal uh, baloney to to make it work that way for the time being. 
how do we defeat these people? The it sounds really dumb, but the first thing that we actually have to do is to continue to expose them because a lot of this is actually going to get sorted out in the judiciary. This is going to be a result of a lot of litigation. Yeah, so this is where I'm not as optimistic. The courts have been letting us down with some of this This stuff. is why that's what I'm saying. We have uh, the left, the queer apparatus, the Human Rights Campaign being one such organization, the ACLU being another such organization, uh, and then they have all of the American Medical Association, American Psychological, Psychiatric, American Academy of Pediatrics. They have all these professional organizations, and so when one of these cases goes to court, it is not technically the judge's job to be expert in literally every subject that comes before his bench. He has to rule on the law. And so they get blinded by this bevy of fake experts. So what we need is the ability to give expert testimony, expert witness, and to start educating the judiciary that this isn't just that, uh, that this isn't just another civil rights question like we saw, uh, whether it's the gay civil rights or the racial civil rights movements uh, of the past. This is something fundamentally different. And yeah, so just to be clear, it was Obergefell that expanded parts of the Civil Rights Act to gender theory? Is that what you're saying? That's right, and sexuality more specifically, but it opens in both directions. So this is where you start getting the Title IX questions that people like Riley Gaines had to deal with. Yep. So Title IX literally is one of the shortest things in, in, that we all talk about in the federal registry. It's extremely simple. It's a, you will not discriminate based on sex and anything receiving federal funds within education. That It's not complicated. And what they've done is they've created this crazy argument that if a man shows up dressed as a woman and a woman shows up dressed as a woman and you say, well, the man cannot come in because he's dressed as a woman, but the woman can come in dressed as a woman, then you're discriminating against the man because he's a man. But no, you're not. You're discriminating against somebody who is dressed as the opposite sex or trying to enter into a single sex space. Now, this is important because if you allow a man to enter a woman's space— That is no longer a segregated, single-sex, reserved space for women because it admits some men, which means that that space is no longer a sex-reserved or sex-protected space, which means it's not possible to discriminate on sex because sex doesn't mean anything here anymore. Sex isn't the determiner of the quality of the space. So it's actually a contradiction and how Gorsuch fell for it, I'm not exactly sure, but it's 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 not and, good. And that was the there was the Bostock versus Clayton County 2020 mm-hmm. decision is what you're referencing with Gorsuch, right? Oh, that's right, that's right. Sorry. No, there, there's two. There's the Obergefell, right. and then there's the Bostock versus. No, Clayton you're right. County, you're right. Right. You're right. The the Obergefell was nationalization of. That's right. Of that's marriage. right. Uh, that's right. But what Bostock versus Clayton County Gorsuch f- fell for this little trick that Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act right. of '64 protects employees against discrimination, and therefore based on gender identity. Right. And so then the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights immediately, in practice, extended it to Title IX as well. And that's literally how you get Riley Gaines' story. That's literally how the entire experience that she and her fellow swimmers yeah, and, and look, other I'm, athletes are dealing with. I'm, I'm not going to involve you into some of my uh, intellectual fights I'm involved in, but my contention is that the Civil Rights Act has grown way beyond the scope of its intent. That's, I think— actually patently obvious. That no, I know, but I get attacked for saying such things. But, I mean, we can even just look very, very—let's be very narrow about that. Um, let's just look at one Supreme Court decision, which is a very important Supreme Court decision that needs to be on everybody's mind that cares about this issue. Uh, whatever you think of the Civil Rights Act itself, in 1971, Griggs v. Duke Power decided that disparate impact, if there's a difference in outcomes, inequity, 
not inequality. No intention to discriminate. Difference in huge. outcomes can be I taken know. as proof what of discrimination. What was this decision? 1971. So this is disparate impact. Yeah. So, um, and I don't want to go into the full details of Griggs versus Duke Power, 1971. Everybody should go look it up. And the short ver- version is that they were giving a test to go into management. And more white people proportionally were passing the test than black people proportionally. The test had no racism found in it whatsoever, but they decided that that, because it had a difference in impact, that there must be racism hidden in it somewhere. That's your magical systemic racism. And so ever since civil rights law, which is primarily done by leftists, we have very few conservatives in civil rights law, have jumped on that interpretation to say anywhere there's a disparate impact, then all of a sudden protected categories like race become protected classes like racial minorities. And this changes the intention of civil rights law completely. I'm not going to weigh in because I don't fully know, and I'm slightly agnostic as to whether civil rights reform is is enough to, to repair this. But I know that getting rid of disparate impact analysis itself will turn the Civil Rights Act into the weapon against woke that we can be able to start filing lawsuits and winning lawsuits and beating this out of our institutions. Yeah, and I I think lawfare is important. I do. But remember, judges read the New York Times. That's right. And so you're in this culture where you do a great job. You have lived through the different versions of Twitter X. Are we in a better spot to win because of Elon and what he's done? Yeah, tremendously so. Uh, having a place where there is free speech is overwhelmingly crucial. Uh, we're in a completely different space. They can't foist something on us without the skepticism being voiced somewhere that's got mainstream appeal. Uh, it's not just off in like the weird corners of the Internet that they can say are you know, white supremacy havens or whatever. It's now on a mainstream, the biggest, I think, mainstream platform. So, for platform. example, you got kicked for saying, OK, groomer. That's right. For five months. You can say that every day now. I say it a lot. <laughs> I say it a lot. Uh, not, you have to be careful in Canada, though, because calling a drag queen in Canada a groomer is actually against the law now. That's probably my fault. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go to Canada anytime soon. I'm okay being a political prisoner at some point if that's what it's going to take, but not in Canada. So, and if you read Walter Isaacson's book, the only reason Twitter reformed is because Elon bought it and he just went in and demanded change, like reinstate this account, reinstate this account. That's right. You were on the list, by the way. I was. You were on yeah. like Lindsay needs to be back, right? Yeah. Peterson needs to be back. You know, um, pretty remarkable. Final thoughts, James Lindsay. Every parent and grandparent and really every honest teacher left in this country, and there are a lot of them, needs to read The Queering of the American Child because yes. they need to understand queer theory. I'll, I'll brag on Logan because he wrote it in a way that I could not. It's so easy to read. It's so accessible. You're, the people a, great, are, you're a great writer, but you yeah, write but technically. This is, yes, that's right. This is very easy. Everybody who read it early, it's about 100 people read it early, have all said the same thing. Very easy to read. Page let's let's very blow quick. it out. Let's do a whole bunch of events. And I'd, Have I met them? Uh, no, he's 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 just a dad. He's just a quiet dad who uh, I love that. Yeah, and he was he saw queer theory and he said, "My, I have kids. This is coming. I have to be ready before they get in school." James, you're excellent. God bless you, man. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thanks so much for listening, and God bless. For more on many of these stories and news you can trust, go to charliekirk.com.